0: will be the end of the series on love. It's not the, you you can't exhaust scriptures when it comes to love. There's no possible way you can exhaust the scriptures, but we will let love ride a little while and see if it makes any difference in our life. See if it changes it, not much use talking about anything if it's not going to change our life. And I think the Apostle Paul said that often, but it is amazing How many places love is involved, and in all the books, you hardly get out of a book. Now, if you're a reader, if you're not, you ought to be. Uh, I'm ashamed of some of you for your lack of reading. Shame on you. I mean, the Bible ought to be more enthused. You ought to be more enthused on reading God's Word than that. Uh, You know, you maybe don't have all day, but you got a few minutes, and it doesn't take that long to read the Bible. But if you're a reader, you hardly get out of a book of what the love of God is discussed, and in great, uh, and in great form. Uh, oft times we're so interested in what the book is all about. Now, like Romans, we'll be reading from that, and, and we have an idea that this is a legal book where the Apostle Paul is testing the legality of the law and making comparisons with that to God's law, But uh, then almost before he ends up this book, he goes into some in-depth things about love and the qualifications of love and what love does. And uh, so if we're in doubt as to whether we love or not, and love as God wants us to love, we can pick up Romans, we can pick up uh, John, all the books of John, almost any book in the Bible... If you read it long enough and get the idea out of your head that it's just the dealing with one subject, you'll find that almost every book of the Bible, all the writings as far as Paul is concerned, or Peter, uh, has something to say about the divine love of God. We're going to pick up from the ninth verse of the twelfth chapter of Romans, and it starts off saying, Let, let love be without dissimulation, or without hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy, for the most part, uh, we always think of hypocrisy as somebody being a pretender or somebody that is uh, claiming to be something that he is not. But it's interesting to note that this word is the same word that Jesus used at least 15 times in Matthew, and it carries a deeper meaning than just pretending. Actually, when he's using this word in Matthew and when this word is used by the apostle Paul, and he talks about uh, without being a hypocrite or without hypocrisy. And that word simply means expecting from others that which you are not willing to do yourself. And that's the word a meaning of hypocrisy when Jesus called the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees hypocrites. He was saying you're expecting something out of others that you're not willing to do yourself. In other words, you are laying laws down as far as being obedient to the law. And you're saying this is necessary, and you are not even obedient to the law. And so the Apostle Paul is taking his cue from there, and he's saying, now, the love of God has to be without hypocrisy. You cannot expect something out of someone else that you are not willing to do yourself. And most Christians face that. If we're trying to live a Christian life, we face that idea of individuals that's never tried to live a christian life and the first thing they want to call us when we don't live up to their expectations is hypocrites and uh, so actually what they are are hypocrites themselves because they are expecting out of christian people something that they're not willing to try to do themselves and a lot of us are the same way as far as christians are concerned we're expecting something out of other people to write their lives and live their lives in a certain manner, a certain way, and we are not willing to do that ourselves. Our expectations for them is higher than our expectations for ourselves. So the Apostle Paul meets that right away and says, Love can't be with hypocrisy. It cannot be that way. And then it tells you on so often what love is, said, Abhor that which is evil, In in other words, shun that which is evil, like you would shun a a skunk or something like that. You shun that which is evil and cleave to that which is good, or the word is glue or paste yourself to that which is good. That don't mean just get a hold of it for a while. It's glue yourself onto it, that which is good. Then it says, Be kindly affected one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide those things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, Paul kind of leaves a little leeway there (laughs) because he's fully aware that it's simply not possible to live peaceably with some people. They're not going to allow you to do it. But he says, as much as is impossible, and as much as lies within you, as much as abilities you have, live peaceably with all men. And he said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And then we're going to the eighth verse of the thirteenth chapter, and says, "O oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill." Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, now he is getting into the idea that it's time, that we're beginning to put some uh, preeminence on love, we're beginning to place it first in our life. Knowing the time, now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, which simply means wastefulness, like the prodigal son who was wasting the substance of his father, And there's a lot of people wasting the substance that God has given us, the power of the Holy Ghost, and we're wasting our Christian life on frivolous things that amount to nothing. It's going to be buried with us in the grave. And also talks about drunkenness, which is uh, habitual drunkenness, whether it's on wine, strong drink, whether it's on pleasure or other things. We get on to a whole lot of people for... Uh, being drunkards on wine, but so many Christian people are drunk with pleasure and every other thing that said love won't allow this. And then not in chambering, that's fornication. That comes from the word Koiti, which simply means natural or spiritual fornication. He was writing mostly to Christians, and of course he had to embrace spiritual fornication, which naturally is having to do with someone other than Jesus. He is not number one in their life. And when he is not, the Bible tells us in Paul most specifically, when he is not number one, when somebody else is, then we're stepping out on him and we're committing fornication, spiritual fornication. And goes on to talk about and wantonness, uh, which means without restraint or disregard for order. People don't want any order. They want to do their own thing the way they want it done. And then and not in strife and envying. Now, strife is argumentative, always contentious, always negative, never satisfied with anything. Whatever is, it doesn't make any difference. We're against it. We don't like it. It wouldn't make any difference what a person did. And if Jesus Christ was to come and set himself in our, our midst, there'd be some that just wouldn't like what he had to say, wouldn't like what he looked like, and that is strife. That is stirring up strife. The Bible says love don't allow that. Have true love of God in her life that simply will not allow that. So we can gauge it by that. And then envy. Now, a lot of people get envy mixed up with jealousy, but they're two different things. Envy simply is desire to deprive someone of what he has. If you're envying somebody, you don't, want, don't like what they've got, and you want to deprive them of having that, and jealousy is simply just a desire to have the same thing for yourself. You're jealous of them, and you'd like to have what they've got. If uh, somebody's got a a brand new Cadillac and and, uh, you envy him, then uh, you don't want him to have it. But if you're jealous of him, you're glad he's got it, but you wish you had one just like it or maybe a little bit better. So sometimes you're going to have one of the two. Let's have jealousy, all right? The Apostle Paul said he was jealous over those individuals with a godly jealousy. So you can, you can go from there. And then he says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now he qualifies his statement there too because he realizes that uh, flesh has to have clothes on her back. We have to have food to eat. And uh, automobile anymore It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. There's certain things that we have to have. But Paul says, in this and in seeking these things, don't seek it to fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, love will not allow that. Love wants the kingdom of God first. That has to be first in our life, and love will put it there. Now, I totally skipped over the first seven verses of uh, the 13th chapter because in the original, that is parenthetical, and there is emphasis. Now, I have a Bible... That is called the Emphasis Bible. It goes back to the original writings and the copyings, and it puts the emphasis on what emphasis was placed on there. They used to have certain things to denote that this is the emphasis of the Scripture, or the emphasis put on the chapter. All of it was, was good, but the emphasis was to be put, on that particular chapter of writing, was to be put under this. And so they, they put this parenthetical with those markings that the emphasis is on the first seven verses. Now, I'm going to let you read those. I'm going to let you see what they say because love also demands this. So you just mark those out and realize of everything else that was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, love not work, and thou this neighbor, and all of those, those things were good. But the emphasis was put on the parenthetical part, which was the first seven verses. That is the emphasis of the chapter, and that's what love demands also. Now, we want to talk about the predominance of love. Now, I'm sure most of us are aware that love is very conspicuous, either by its absence or by its presence. In other words, you'll know right off whether there's any love in a home when you go in it or not. It's just that conspicuous, uh, the very absence of it, or you will know whether there is love there or not, that the presence is there. Now, a minister one time that I knew told a visitor after service in a place where I happened to pastor, said, Your church is truly a loving church. I felt the love of God settle over me as I was coming up the walk. I mark that down because to me that's the highest compliment that a church could ever be paid is to let individuals feel by the time they drive into a parking lot and it is possible by the time they open their door to realize that a church is a loving church that has an outreach not only loving itself and loving its own members but it has a desire to reach out and embrace the community has a desire to see souls saved and that's the compliment and the framework of any church of any congregation ought to be love. Yes. now we pentecostals are famous for our methods of worship <laughs> amen of our preaching uh, our preaching is different than than most and and we pray for the sick and we cast out devils and we speak in tongues and sometimes we dance and Very few times, but sometimes we shout, and and all of these things were famous for our methods of worship because it's different from most uh, uh, denominal uh, places. But our trademark, with all of this going on, and there's nothing wrong with that, we ought to recapture some of the zeal in our lives again, and there'd be some things to shout over, but our trademark should be love. We should have that written in the highest place because John says, 1335, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. So you see, there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues, no doubt in my mind, but what that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming in. There's no doubt of that. But there's been so much lack of love in our presentation of the gospel, in our presentation of the born-again experience until it has simply just become a doctrine. It's become a hammer uh, with a nail that we fashion up on the wall and very, very little love sometimes is in it. Not for the love of a soul, but for the idea that we've got the truth, bless God, and, and that makes us a little bit better than you are. And so we pound it and pound it and pound it until we're known for our doctrine And not for the love that ought to go along with it. Love ought to be predominant in our lives because we tried to make it so. And because we practice its principles. You see, nobody knows about the love of God in your life unless you practice the principles of love. I mean, you can stand up and talk about love and how much you love and all of this, but unless love's principles are practiced, and some of those principles we've given from time to time, and we just read some of the principles that love will do. It will hate evil, it will make us be kindly affected one to another, and all of these things we just read is love, and uh, that's the principles of love. So when you're an apple tree in good soil and you take care of it right properly, the fruit's going to be predominant when it's time for that tree to bring forth. It's just going to naturally be there. So you take an individual and you plant him right and, and you get him a good foundation and you get him in some good soil and, uh, and uh, you let that soil do its job and it comes time for fruit, it's going to be predominant. You don't have to pin no fake fruit on that tree because it's going to be there. The principle is there. You plant it right, you keep it from diseases, and when it comes fruit time, fruit's going to be there. And you do the same thing with a Christian life. It's more than just planting it when it comes up. It's got to have good soil, it's got to be watered, it's got to be fed, and then when it comes forth, it's just naturally going to be there because that's the principle of a Christian life. But well, we've got to realize where it comes from. That's the principle of love. Trying to make a show of love. And you see that so often. Love is, is a sham sometimes. It just makes it awkward and it makes it cheap. Kind of like artificial fruit that at a dime store. And you try to pin that on something and try to fool people with the idea that this is real. And though some of it looks real, try to eat it sometime. Try to let it be of some value to somebody else. And you're going to see the difference between that which is not real, that which is fake, and that which is real. And that's what I'm trying to say with God's people. When fruit comes forth, it's going to do somebody else some good. And if it's a fake thing, if it's a put-on thing, it's not going to help anybody. It's just going to be good for show. And won't you agree with me tonight? It's about time God's people was to quit trying to make a show and get down to old-fashioned business of uh, reaching into heart and heartfelt salvation and make it mean something in our lives and make our salvation mean something and make it reach out and embrace so people can look at a tree and tell it by its fruit. See what the principle of love is in our life. You take care of the tree and the fruit's going to shine in a season. Somebody's going to come along and look at it and taste it and say, that's good, that's going to help me. So love becomes, in Christianity, the state or the empire state building of the church. In other words, it rises or should rise above all other aspects in the body of Christ. Now, I realize it is true that a man cannot be saved without proper doctrine. Amen? Amen. And don't get me wrong, it takes proper doctrine for a man to be saved, but doctrine is vain without love. Amen. I mean, you can have all the truth of God you want, and if you're using it for a club, it's of no value to anyone else. And I think we have all been guilty. I'm going to stand and admit that I have been guilty because there's times when I felt like it was my duty just to skin somebody alive and just be able to tell them, hey, look, you don't have one thing unless you have been baptized in Jesus' name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and all of this. In other words, you're going to hell instead of trying to reach out in love and embrace them and say, hey, look, have you experienced that wonderful experience of the power of the Holy Ghost that will set your insides on fire? Do you know what it's like to have God inside of you? Whether if you don't, you need to try it because you really haven't known God in His fullness until you've got Him inside of you. He can be all around you, and He can touch you, and goosebumps can go all up and down your back, but you really haven't felt the reality of God until you surrender this old tongue to Him, and He comes in and begins to speak out in another language. Friend, that's doctrine, but that's love. That's entwining God inside of it. I think Peter preached it plain, but if he'd got up there the way sometimes we get up, and try to belittle, and try to condemn, I think it's showed forth in love. I think love is, the again, the primary thing, the target, uh, the principle that a church should be built on, and God's church is built on it. And man can't be saved, I'll say it again, without the proper doctrine. You need that, but love is not the plan of salvation. It is not that, but it points the way to the door. Hallelujah. It's got a finger, and it says this is the way, and uh, this is the thing. And not only does it point the way to the door, but it sustains us after we have entered in the door. Now, could I be brave enough and brazen enough to say that that is probably the reason there's a lot of pews in a lot of churches today? Because we have experienced revival, no doubt about that. Probably if we had everybody that God has talked to and baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, even in this, this church building wouldn't hold it. And I can't say this is a blame for all of it. But I can say one thing, it's probably the blame for a lot of it. That we have failed to love. We have demanded. We have laid down strict laws in which they have no power at the time to, to be able to delve into. And we have demanded of their lives without giving love inside, without showing them the necessity of it. And we put handcuffs on them and bound their legs and feet so much sometimes that there's no breathing room for them. Right. And we've clothed them with adult clothes and adult shoes and expected them to dance and shout with number 10 shoes when they have little tiny feet. We've tried to clothe them and get them like adults. And many times we've taken the Scripture, and I know this is plain, and I know some of you are not liking it, but we've taken the Scripture, and we've picked it out of its context, we've set it over here, and tried to make it stand by itself. And the Bible Scriptures have to correlate. You cannot take this one and set it over here. You've got to find out what this one says before it, what this one says after it, and what the context of the thing is. Sometimes it's been to our liking, we'll just pull it out over here, and we'll set it up here, and we'll come. We'll say, now you have to be obedient to this. You can't do this. And right on down there is a Scripture that has the same demands, but it's something that we are not doing ourselves. And so we just leave it alone. Amen? Because it makes us look bad and makes us feel bad and it would complicate areas in our life and so we leave that one lame. But you get on to some poor individual that don't know too much only that God loves them. <laughs> Hallelujah! That God saved them and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleansed them of all sin and iniquity and they feel so good about that And then the first thing you know, they're hit in the head with a sledgehammer. Told that they don't have anything if they don't do this, that, and something else. All right? If you just leave God alone, (laughs) amen? If you just leave God alone, He'll take care of some of these things. It'll come forth. Mankind will know what it's all about. But it points the way to the door and also sustains us after we have entered the door. It's the sinews that holds the body of Christ together. Hallelujah. Take love out of this world, and the world's going to be lost. You take love out of the church, and it divides, and it disintegrates. But when love circulates, when we can get the idea that it's not human love, that it is God's love. That we are capable with God in us of loving as Jesus loved. And we get the idea that uh, that is a command, not something we can or cannot do. That is a command that we must grow in. And when we get that idea and realize that is a necessity, then you're going to end a lot of friction going to end a lot of ideas and opinions, and it's only when love is missing can division come in and do its evil work. I want you to notice a lot of times and you don't have to go any farther than your own little congregation. Amen? And you notice when love starts to disintegrate. When divine love fails to have its way in our life when we start judgmental attitudes out of our own placely motives and desires, a church starts to disintegrate. A church starts to go down. When you sit down at your uh, kitchen table or dining room table and you have the preacher for dinner or the Sunday school superintendent for dinner or the teachers or or some of the saints of God for dinner and your children are sitting there listening Amen, Brother Hoshcloth. Listening to that. And they hear that from a little child up. And then when they get big and they don't know God, you say, oh God, what did I do wrong? You fed them the wrong thing. You fed them division. You fed them hatred. You fed them with everything but the love of God. Amen. But when among us, we've got nothing to fear from the outside world, and we've got nothing to fear from ourselves. Love can bind together two persons of different little views and different lives. It's the only way they can be bound together. And I think the, the most confusing thing to the world, and they're beginning to unravel that now, The most confusing and astonishing thing when the church was established on the day of Pentecost and when it was alive and when it was vibrant and when Paul was establishing churches, the most astonishing thing was people of all different types of life coming in together and getting along and worshiping God. because they had one common denominator and that was the love of Almighty God in their lives and they believed the scripture that said if we didn't love our brother we didn't love god either they believed that in a church and it's close to here and i'm not going to name it i happen to be a friend of the pastors all types of happenings and divisions and his church was rent and he called me and he was in tears and it was just about to split wide open on him, and he was just about getting ready to go because it seemed as if uh, he was the fault of it. And uh, just divisions, little things. Didn't, no big things. It's little foxes that spoil the vine. Amen. No big things. It's just some little things that, that uh, some creaking wheel wants some grease, and it just squeaks a little bit louder, and uh, it gets a voice. It's, the majority usually don't say much. It's a minority, the one that goes around with their mouth open all the time. Amen? Going around criticizing. Nothing's right. And I'll say it again. It wouldn't matter who stood behind this pulpit. they would be somebody wouldn't like it. Amen? And Jesus Christ himself could come and stand here and somebody wouldn't like him. His principles that he laid down like the Apostle Paul could lay it down and somebody wouldn't like it. Because it wouldn't be done the way they wanted it. Because he didn't have a personality the way they liked it. And all of this. But the love of God, and I started to say about this church, just about ready to split wide open. And in God's wisdom, you see a lot of things we bring on ourselves, unrealizing it. But in God's wisdom, there was a family that was well liked by everybody in the church. Young teenage girl, well liked by everybody in the church. She'd been an inspiration in camp. She came home. She saw what was happening. It hurt her. And so she was doing her best to get some young people together and show them, because they were getting involved, their parents were involving them. And so they were getting involved in this division among young people. And so she was doing her best to kind of get them together and was taking them someplace for a good time to get their mind off of this. She came back, picked up her car, started down the road, sideswiped somebody, lost control of the car, slammed into somebody else and was dead. Everybody loved this family. They had one common thing to look at then. Everything else didn't mean anything. So they dropped all their animosity. They dropped all their envy. They dropped all their malice. And all divisions disappeared as they converged upon this one family. And that church is solid. But you stand and look at it, and the minister looked at me and said, Why does it have to take a tragedy for God's people to love one another? Why does this have to be? And yet, for the salvation of a church, possibly for the salvation of many souls, God had to take one. I've looked at this time and time again, and I think relatively not even knowing that it happened at the time we had the same thing to happen in our own uh, church. Where everything was happening, everything was falling apart. God had to take somebody, someplace where both sides, so to speak, had confidence in and rally the forces around them. And when I look at churches that are rent with division, rent with negative ideas and thoughts, my wife will tell you, let's reach out and find some place and some common ground to love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we'll keep the unity of the Spirit then the unity of the faith will follow. And Corinthians says it again, let all things be done with love. When we apply, I thought about this as I wrote it down, when we apply for service, or when we apply for work someplace, or let put down what we experienced in and, and all of these things. But when you apply for service in the work of God, the first inquiry on the questionnaire is, how much do you love Jesus? How much do you love Him? And if you can't answer with all my soul and with all my heart and with all my mind, then it would be useless to fill out the rest of the application. Because even the smallest task in God's kingdom has to be done in love. Even the most minute things, whatever that might be, has to be done in love. What a case, and I'm not saying that has ever happened here and. For God, don't go away and say it did <laughs> but we had a case uh, in one place I was at uh, where the housekeeper got military. she felt she had a menial chore, she felt like she was being put upon, she felt this and that and something else, it was continual, continual, continual gripe about this I had to call her in one time and I said did you not ask for the job yes, are you not getting paid for the job, yes Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. I said, well then, that is a job where you can be of service to the Lord Jesus Christ and if you can't do it out of love, then you don't need to be doing it. Amen. 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 So we can't sing without singing because we want to? Just keep your mouth shut. Amen. If you can't play your music because you want to play it, just don't play it. Amen? If you have to come to church because you feel like that's a demand of somebody else, just don't come. In other words, if we can't do something out of love, we're wasting our time. The same way with your money. If you don't love God enough to give Him what's His, keep it for God's sake. Because it's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help the church. It's not going to help anybody else. But whatever we do for God, Whatever we do in the house of God. For God's sake, let's do it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we realize that He laid down His life for us and shed His life's blood that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And He expects a return out of that love. He puts it in us for us to reach out and embrace somebody else. Love is not love until we give it away. In other words, we can say we love Jesus all we want until we embrace somebody else. It's not love in us. It has to reach. It has to love. And we've got to do it because we love Jesus. You think I'd be standing up here acting a fool and doing this while I look at the frowns of some of you and the disregard of some of you if I didn't love the Lord and if I didn't love you? It would be just easy to get some little old ear tickling thing to pat you on the back, telling you find you on your way to heaven, nothing's going to stop you, and get their claims of you. It'd be the easiest thing in the world. But because you love Jesus, and because your heart reaches out, and you can't love God without loving His people, there's something about them that reaches into your heart. And you got to tell them the truth. <laughs> After I'd preached pretty much on the other night on "Seek ye first the kingdom of God," and uh, any sick among you, let him call for elders of the church. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We got a few telephone calls about me being afraid to preach it. I wasn't afraid to preach it. I faced enough devil in my time that it really didn't matter. I wasn't afraid to preach it. What I was afraid of is that we would know it to be the truth and disregard its importance. Right. Because I've been around enough and felt enough when god lays these things on us that god is expecting a change and when we refuse to realize it is really is important in our life you see it's dangerous for us to admit it's truth and then deny that it's important to our life and we continue to do the same old thing you see god has reached us with truth we have admitted that it is truth you'd be surprised how many people said you didn't have to be afraid you told us the truth But that wasn't what I was afraid of. I want to make that open confession now. What I was afraid of is what has happened in a lot of our lives. We admitted this truth and disregarded the importance and bearing it has on our life as well as on our congregation and went ahead and done our own thing our own way. See, someplace, somewhere we have to measure up to what God wants well enough out of that. Psalm says, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, houses that look good but don't have love as their foundation is soon going to be destroyed. Our little kingdoms, our little societies are but child's play before God. And one of these days are going to be swept away like the chaff of a flashing floor. There's rewards in heaven. If there was rewards in heaven for human excellence... Einstein's and all of these great men, inventors of the uh, hydrogen bomb and all of that would be among the candidates. But God doesn't reward like that. Sometimes we're going to find out what we have compared ourselves with ourselves and we've come out good as far as carnality is concerned, but didn't measure up to the expectations of God's love in our life. We may sing to entertain a crowd or we may preach to thrill an audience but our thrill is going to be short-lived because the entertained crowd is going to go someplace for entertainment. Right. Amen? Amen? I mean, if you start entertaining individuals and you fail to entertain them one time, they will go someplace else. That offers you more entertainment. And a thrilled audience, if you just thrill an audience with your great orientation and your great abilities to hold individuals spellbound in your silver-tongued orator. And you just thrill the audience. Then they're going to return right to their own worldly ways and heaven's not going to lift her pen whatsoever to record any souls and lives because lives haven't been changed because love has been eclipsed by pride. you find the whole world is going after these type of things. Get a great singing group in here that would entertain an individual, the house would be full. But then you'd have to have a greater singing group the next time to fill the house again. And if ever one time you failed to entertain, those individuals would be gone. Same way whenever you uh, preach a message and you just tickle ears and make people feel good, if you don't do that the next time, and don't do it the next time, then those individuals that follow uh, is, is not going to be there. And they're not going to have anything to base their life on. But wait a minute. Let us sing that same song again. Hallelujah. That same song. There's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned song that these quartets sing and a lot of these popular singers sing. There's nothing wrong with that. And let us sing that song again. And this time, let us lift up with a voice of love. And let's lift up Jesus. Hallelujah, let's just disappear and let's let the world see Jesus in this song, friend. And then you're going to challenge a life. Amen. And you're going to challenge a heart. And preacher, read those same Scriptures. Let the same sentences flow out of you with a Holy Ghost anointing. Not necessarily anxious to thrill, but have a Bible truth that you want to impart to an individual that would solidify his life. Give him something to sing his teach him to and let that preacher begin to preach with a heart of flame and a soul that's burdened for a loss and a church that needs to be touched with the reality of a living God, friend. And then heaven stands up because love has been exalted. Amen. Humanity may not stand up, friend, when truth is going forth in its purity, but heaven stands up, and angel stands up, and applauds because love is coming forth. Humanity is not desiring anything for himself. and he has disappeared. And love and God stands forth. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth himself has been exalted. And nobody else. Amen. The audience that came to hear the word of God will come to hear it again. And come to hear it again. And come to hear it again. And, it again, and they won't care whether it comes from the mouth of a donkey black man or anybody else. Because they're not interested in the vessel. They're interested in what comes down in the vessel. They're interested in God's Word. God. The truth. Searching for that. When that's love. Yes. That's love when we forget about the little frills. Forget about the little, little uh, chills. And one time realize that emotional things is going to go one of these days. There's not going to be some time, and I I don't know how you agree with this. I believe the only way God's going to get His church to turn His attention is to put some screws to them a little bit. They're going to have to feel some tribulation greater than we've ever felt before. And friend, in that time, you're not going to want to shout very much. Amen. You're, you're, you're not going to feel like rejoicing other than inside that what you're going to seek is a pure, unadulterated Word of God that will establish you and settle you and take you through on the other side while everybody else is going down because they have nothing to establish on. You have ate the Word of God. You've tasted it the fruit of love. You've known what it was. You haven't been satisfied with anything else. Heaven stands up because love's doing her work tonight. Hallelujah. Kila basato Hallelujah. Love is doing her work. Angels shout. Hallelujah. Saints are the worship. Sinners could be convicted because love has triumphed one more time. Humanity has been put down and God has been exalted. Yes, what a need in our life. 1 Corinthians said, Now by this faith in closing hope charity, These three, but the greatest one is charity. Our love, love never fails. Love never fails. Friend, let me close in saying we have looked for the spectacular. Sometimes we was born in the emotional pitch of things. We've looked for the spectacular and the church world has run after the sensational. Amen. And as fast as they've built, that fast they fell. And one of these days, when the true test of it all comes, you're going to find out that anything that's left that you can stand on is because you knew what love was and you embraced it and you ate in the Word of God, and you knew the truth of God, and you wasn't satisfied with anything else, let the world have its glory. Let the world have its pleasure. Let the world do its thing. But one thing you knew is that your home was in the heavens, and that you needed God in your life, and you needed His Word, and that one thing would supply and satisfy you, and that's to sit down at the table of God, and open it up, and eat of it, and become strong. Individuals. Ready to face tomorrow's test. Tomorrow's test will come. They will come. I remember not too long ago such lessons you learn from God. But not too long ago I I pray. But this time the prayer was different. It just seemed like I was just lifted into the third heaven. I couldn't hardly contain myself. They'd have put me in a funny farm if they'd have come here. Because I felt the overflow from God of heaven. Nobody but God and me. I went to Him burdened. I went to Him downhearted. I found my Gethsemane. Angels came and strengthened me. I was doing some stupid things. And, and, and I knew all the time what I was doing, but I didn't care. I was rejoicing. I was loving God, and God was loving me. I was getting strength from Him. Amen. And The next day, the bottom fell out of things. And I thought, my God, this is not the way it ought to work. God, it was just yesterday when I was with You in the third heaven, I believe. And that should have been a sign things was going to go good. And He said, no, not at all. That was just preparing you for what you're in now. I could shout again. I said, "Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It just makes me feel that much better. I know I'll make it now. I know I'll make it now." So you see, a lot of times when God comes to us and just just works us over and just lifts us up to the third heaven, that doesn't necessarily mean we're pleasing any sight. Doesn't necessarily mean that we've walked in the right of all His commandments. Simply means they're going to be a test tomorrow, boy, and you're not going to be able to stand it without this special reminiscing. That I was with you and I touched you. And I lift you up into third heaven. Now listen, I know what it's like to go through those things without being lifted up. Amen. And it's nothing compared to the fact that he just lifts you up there. And then when you go through it, there's just something different about it. Once you realize what it was for. I had to realize God wasn't doing that to me because I was a good boy. Not because I waxed bold in prayer. He wasn't doing that for me at all. He was doing that because he loved me and he was having mercy on me. He knew where the devil was going to be and he knew what I needed. So a lot of times in the house of God we can get what we need if we're interested in getting it. Amen. If we really want it, of course if we just come to set and make it hard on somebody if we can, well actually we're not going to get anything from them. not at all. Or if we just come because we think it's duty, <laughs> well, it is a duty but it should be a privilege. Predominance of love. You're going to notice it's either there and you're going to notice it or it's not. It's conspicuous. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. Let's stand. What we need, what we want, what we've got to have is the love of God. Embracing humanity. Doing what you do Because you love Jesus. I just thought when a lot of us were singing old-fashioned day, some people wouldn't stay around very long to listen to us. But that's all right. Because we really wasn't doing it for them. God granted us a privilege just to honor him and whatever voice we had. And we was doing it for God. And that's the same way when you come to the house of God. You do it because you love Jesus. And what a privilege. And it ought to be that we come because we need one another. We come because we want to get closer to one another, and that's getting closer to God. We come because we want to give as well as take. Would you gather up with me this dismissal? Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure. Ain't an angel song. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just going up. Hallelujah. Maybe we could sing that without music even. You think so? Anybody know that one enough? Oh, love of God. How may you? Hallelujah. It shall forever. Hallelujah.